Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to What the Fuck? Where we talk about topics that have caused so much damage, people don't come to church anymore. Hey, I'm the senior pastor of Music of Life Church Appleton, and I'm joined by the senior pastor of Music of Life Church Kimberly, Pastor Joel Swakowski. Hey, Pastor Joel. Hey, Pastor Jonathan. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm excellent. You know, uh, it's it's fun just chatting with you before we start recording. Yeah, I'm ready so to I already go. Feel like, I already feel like we're we're doing work, getting stuff done. Absolutely. Pastor Joel and I don't only talk during a podcast, everyone. No, this is just an extension of uh, a lot of things we talk about. Yeah, so let's let's get in the car together and uh, drive to Michigan. Yeah, uh, no kidding. This week's episode is called The Principle of Contrastive Thinking. Oh, I like that. Yeah, would you give us some background on this topic? Yes, sir. So we started this season, which we have deemed as the God's will season, with understanding truth and deception. We know that truth is a right what with the right how and why, or also could be stated as truth is facts that create over the long term. Now we're working through how do we determine truth. So today we're going to continue covering the four principles that determine truth. We've covered the first two, non-contradiction and causality. With non-contradictions, we know contradictions don't exist. If you see one, check your premises. And with causality, it's simply for every effect, there's a cause. The Bible talks about you reap what you sow. Nice. So today we cover the principle of contrastive thinking, which is the ability to consider the opposite perspective. That almost sounds like the ultimate answer. It It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've been you've been given it ahead of time, Pastor John. Oh, okay. But we're this, still going to yeah. go on a journey, so oh, this will be are. exciting. And that's part of the journey of this principle is we're going to help you see where we're going with it because it can be difficult to understand at places. But we'll break it down for everybody, clear enough where we'll be able to walk away having a healthier thought process and being one step closer to being able to determine truth. There you go. Cause we need to get it. Yes. Maybe you defined it, but we need, we are spending this episode so that people can get and yes. really understand what that looks like. Absolutely. Awesome. Now in the non-contradiction episode, we stated that the lack of contradiction doesn't prove something is right because we may not have all the information. However, the presence of a contradiction proves something is not right. Mm-hmm. So the principle of contrastive thinking, considering the opposite perspective, is actually what instructs us to intentionally seek out those contradictions. Now, contrastive thinking also sounds a lot like humility, the ability to consider another perspective. I like to think of contrastive thinking as humility on steroids Uh or super humility. Nice. Cool. It's not merely considering another perspective. It is considering the opposite. And you and I've had conversations about this. So it would be more, it's like this. Okay. I could say as a green Bay Packer fan, the Packers are the best football team. Mm -hmm. And if I was humble, 
that would mean I have the ability to consider maybe they're maybe they're not the best. Maybe maybe they're the second best. Maybe they're mm-hmm. the third best. Mm-hmm. That would be me being humble. Sure. The contrastive perspective of the Packers are the best team would be, do I have the ability to consider? Can I argue for the case where they're the worst team? Ah. Oh, that's a that, that see how that's hum, like super humility. All the way in the opposite direction. Opposite, opposite perspective. Yeah. yeah. Or how about this one that hits closer to home as as far as the what the flock podcast goes? I could believe that God is love in his nature. God's defined in his nature as love. Me being humble would be me being able to consider that he could be any other thing. Okay. Which would include love, right? I could even, being humble could be, oh, I still believe he's defined as love, but I can also see how he's these other things as well. Sure. Being contrastive means I could see how I am wrong about what I believe. Not just I'm right and maybe there's things I'm missing, but being contrastive is can I consider and argue for what would it take for me to be wrong about whatever the belief is I have? That's again, why it's super humility. And what I mean by that is it would take, it's the most, it's the, the highest level of humility. Amazing. How have people been hurt by this topic in the church? Or in other words, how has this topic of contrastive thinking cause disunity. Well, people misuse this principle because it is the opposite of how we naturally think as human beings. Naturally, everyone looks for how they could be right. And this is called comparative thinking. And our brains naturally work according to causality and non-contradiction. The first two principles we covered Our brains naturally are analyzing the cause behind things. Our brains naturally don't handle contradictions well. So we want to know with causality, we want to know why something happened, right? Right. Yes. What's the reason? So that's causality. Non-contradiction is it. It needs to make sense. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So this third principle is tough because our unconscious brain works according to it. Yet our conscious brain does not. The way we think as humans naturally works in the opposite direction of contrastive thinking. We naturally want to, we do want to make sense of things immediately as quickly as possible. Okay. So basically everyone in the world actively avoids seeing how they could be wrong. And everyone in the world is an expert at being contrastive on other people. So that's really this big conflict in the church. We don't apply the principle of contrastive thinking to ourselves, yet we're experts at showing other people how they could be wrong. Okay. So we compare it. We try to look for how we are right, which is comparative. And being comparative actually includes proving others wrong. Or yeah. having the opposite perspective of others is actually being comparative as well. 
Yeah, because really it's just more support for why I'm right. Got it. Yeah. Nice. So what does this conflict look like in the church? So when this issue impacts the church, contrastive thinking, there's a strict and loose side that happens, which is why we talk about disunity. Can you help us understand how the strict side has responded to contrastive thinking? Yeah, the strict side are the people who are contrastive on you. They are actively trying to find areas where you're wrong and pointing out where you are wrong. And what we see this a lot is by the pastors in churches believing it's their job to show their people where they are wrong. And yet, I could even sit here and argue this may be a benefit. Like, don't we want to find the areas we're wrong? Yeah. Yeah. In a healthy and safe way. Hmm. And it gets abusive when that same pastor refuses to find or admit where he's wrong. So that's really where the strict side lies is it's one way contrastive thinking on you, not on myself. Amazing. So how do these people on the strict side support their beliefs with the Bible? Well, from our experience, most religious authorities will argue against this principle even being biblical since the terms contrastive thinking aren't in the Bible. And even the times the word humble is in the Bible, it's often misapplied and misunderstood. But largely, this tends to be due to the religious authorities being afraid that this principle will be applied to them. It's easier to say this isn't biblical than it is to be open to finding and seeking out where I'm wrong. Hmm. So this limitation side responds by being the first to be contrastive, but on you. So with some biblical support, here's something that can look like what we did in the confrontation episode in season four. Matthew 7, 1 through 4 is the verses that talk about judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. So we have seen pastors actually using this passage not to help them recognize they shouldn't judge others and they should be first looking at what is wrong in their own life before they help other people in their lives. But we've seen pastors use this passage to support the opposite. In fact, using these to claim that it's their job to remove the speck from their brother's eye. So this would be a a verse I would use not only in that confrontation episode, because a lot of what we're doing here with the contrast, the principle of contrastive thinking is the misapplication is a misapplication of confrontation as well. Nice. Because I'll take this principle of contrastive thinking and believe that I'm applying it the right way by confronting you. Yes, confrontation is a benefit when it's done the right way. But contrastive thinking is meant to be embraced by the person who is thinking contrastively in and of themselves. I'm not thinking contrastively 
when I tell you where you are wrong. Mm. I'm not. And you already made that point. That's just me being comparative. So very cool. Apply it to myself. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. How would you handle an interaction with someone who held the strict perspective? On this side, what I do is I, I ask, is it possible that you are wrong right now? Possible. If they say no, this person's in pride. They're unable to consider another perspective. They're in need of nothing. Hmm. And worse, they end up being hypocrites if they rationalize or justify this perspective while wanting others to be able to consider that they could be wrong. Now, when I point out that these people are in pride because I asked them if it was possible that they could be wrong, and I wasn't asking them to admit it or to agree with it, they usually say, oh, yeah, okay, I misunderstood you. It's possible I could be wrong. Then I follow that question up with this. Well, how could someone prove you wrong? If that person Hmm. doesn't have an answer to that, then really their answer to the first question was no, it's not possible that you could be wrong. So the proof that I have the ability to be contrastive is that I can share with you the way you can prove me wrong. Nice. If I don't have a way for you to show me where I'm wrong, then really what I'm saying is it's not possible for me to be wrong. And again, that would be pride. Now, Pastor Jonathan, you and I, we have our answer to this. Our answer is if you want to prove me wrong, show me my belief is contradictory to the doctrine in the Bible. Right. Again, so often you and I are saying when we're having conversations about scripture, step one is open the Bible. Because that's going to be one of the greatest tools to be able to objectively show a person whether or not their beliefs are in line with the Bible or contradictory to the Bible. And especially the doctrine, the truth, the principles that are true, regardless of what passage in the scripture. When you have doctrine, not only do you have the ability to hear God's language and to hear from him more clearly, but you also have the objective standards for where and when you're wrong. So that's our answer to the listeners out there. If you want to show us where we're wrong, show us the contradictions in our belief as it relates to the doctrine in the Bible. Nice. What's important about that is that you, that you use the word doctrine, not what the, you, you didn't say what the Bible said or why it says it at a context level. You're saying the doctrine underneath Absolutely. Um, what the Bible says. Yeah. Cool. So the summary of the strict perspective is these people use this principle on others and not on themselves, meaning they are contrastive on you and right. everyone else. And so that's why I like to, when, when we use the word contrastive, if I'm being contrastive on you, I like to think about that word in quotes. Because it's it not could, really being contrastive. It's not really yeah. being contrastive. It's yeah. actually deceptive to say that they're being, you know, but that someone's being contrastive. Hey, I'm being contrastive. Well, you're proving right. someone wrong, which is actually comparative. Right. So before we go into the loose side, let's take a call. And it looks like the call is coming from 
Crawley, Louisiana. Ooh. And that would mean Pastor Rich. Is it Pastor Rich? You're on the line, maybe, Pastor Rich? Hey there, Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Joel. This is Pastor Rich calling y'all. How y'all doing? Man, I'm really excited about this episode. You know, y'all are putting words to my feelings. You know, it's always bothered me when leaders would say, I'm open to everyone else's opinion without being able to name a specific person who has proven them wrong. I mean, let alone a specific example where they had changed their opinion. Yes. A lot of pastors wrongly think that just saying this is contrastive thinking. When we know contrastive thinking is you actively looking for where you could be wrong. Hey, Pastor Rich, how is restoration going in your church? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Pastor Jonathan. You know, our most dramatic success story involves a brother named Andy. You know, in fact, he embraced contrastive thinking and, uh, you know, that y'all are talking about. And it's caused him to go from a member who required the most attention. We were putting a lot of work into him to one of our up and coming leaders. Oh, that is amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. You know, in fact, Pastor Jonathan, his transformation has been so dramatic. He he no longer wants to even be called Andy. He would actually like to be called Drew. Oh, that's cool. I've seen that before in Music Life Church, but I've also, you know, it's one of the signs of transformation in the Bible. You got Saul of Tarsus to Paul, even have Jacob to Israel. Oh, yes, sir. I know that. You know, these certainly are exciting times for all of us in Crawley, and I'm sure where y'all are at, too, you know, I'm going to hang up and listen. You know, even though my dad may not say it, I know this is his favorite podcast. God bless you both. All right. Thank you so much for the call, Pastor Rich. Wow, Pastor Joel. Pastor Rich is really seeing such a huge transformation going on. Yeah. And what's cool is his experience with contrastive thinking is similar to ours. I feel like what he said was right in line. He could have basically just shared with us what the strict side was, right? I mean, the religious authorities are distracting people away from the fact that they themselves aren't humble. And they do this by abstractly saying that they're open to other people's opinions and to other people correcting them, yet we never actually see it happen. Yeah. Really sad. Let's see the other side of the argument. Let's talk about the loose side, Pastor Joel. All right. Loose side. No, now that I'm saved and I'm a Christian, I believe the right worldview. This is the right religion. Therefore, I'm right. So you're not supposed to be contrasted by me. Because what I believe is right, Pastor Jonathan. And I feel uneasy being contrasted by myself, so I don't do that. You know, because God wouldn't want me to feel that way. Wow. Well, I'm seeing a similarity in both of these sides here. Yeah. Wow. 
How have people been hurt by this perspective? Well, even people who have the right worldview still have flawed beliefs that need to be repaired. What? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Because you know what? Yes. Yes, Christian. You do believe in the right God. But that doesn't mean every belief you have is right. Or even (laughs) what we've seen time and time again through over four seasons now is even Christians who do believe in the quote-unquote right God often misunderstand that very God they claim to worship. <sighs> so yeah, people been hurt a lot in this area. Just rationalizing away the discomfort of being wrong by saying, well, my beliefs are right. Yeah. How would you handle an interaction with someone who held this loose perspective? These are going to sound familiar too. So Do you ever try to show others where they're wrong? Mm -hmm. And are you okay holding unbelievers to a higher standard than yourself? That's where that, yeah. yeah. How does that work? Could you explain that a little bit? Yeah. I think we touched on this in the witnessing and the evangelism episodes from last season where when I am an unbeliever and I am being evangelized or witnessed to by a Christian, what that person's doing is asking me to consider a belief that I don't hold to be true, to consider what they believe, just be open to it. So what does it say about that person who's evangelizing, who looks at the unbeliever and says, well, I don't have to do that anymore. Mm. You're the unbeliever. What you believe is wrong. I don't have to consider what you believe to be true because what I believe is true. That's really the Christian in that scenario, holding the unbeliever to a higher standard than they hold themselves. And as we said in the humility episode, season one, episode 11, humility is one of the like pillar characteristics of being a Christian. Yeah, seriously. Christians are meant to be humble. So shouldn't a Christian be more humble than a non-Christian? Or at least they should hold themselves to the, to, to the same standard as they hold unbelievers to. Be as willing to consider another perspective as what they hold an unbeliever to. But so often now we've become Christians. We believe we're right with what we believe. Then it's our job, even as we evangelize to other people, it's our job to show them that the, their worldview is wrong and we don't ever take part in, in trying to be open to what they may believe or questions that they may have. And unfortunately, what happens a lot of times is even if the evangelism, the evangelism or witnessing may be going well, and the unbeliever may just have a bunch of questions. And if I'm not willing to consider I could be wrong, if I'm not open to being questioned about my beliefs, I could get defensive. Right. And that turn away that unbeliever when really it's possible all they wanted was some clarity behind this worldview you're presenting to them. Amazing. When you see this going on in the church, Pastor Joel, what are your thoughts? My thoughts are grouped into three categories. There's the group of people that I feel sorry for. Not because I'm looking down on them, but because I've been there. And because it's a crappy situation to be in. That's right. It sucks. These people 
are those who are deceived into thinking that because they're Christians, they're right. These people are deceived into thinking that because of that, they no longer need to search out the wrong areas in their lives. So unfortunately, what we'll see is these people have hindered their own ability to grow any further. There's the people I understand why they do what they do. These are people who leave the church due to the frustration with the religious authorities being in pride. Mm-hmm. And these authorities are consistently showing others where they're wrong, but refuse to be questioned about their own beliefs and their own teachings. And then there's the group of people I'm impressed with. These are the people who seek out where they are wrong and admit it when they find those areas. Amazing. What is the ultimate answer? We talked about it a little bit in the beginning, but I feel like we're going to we're going to go someplace deeper now. Yeah, we are. All right. So what's the ultimate answer, Pastor Joel? Ultimate answer is the ability to consider the opposite perspective. Nice. Now, contrastive thinking is a God-given principle. This is the third of four that we're going to cover that when used together, when used together, when used together, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It will determine truth. Obviously you could probably tell one of the ways these have been misapplied is not being used together. You know what we should do? I'd like to, uh, I'd like to have an inside joke with us and our listeners when we're talking about the four principles. And when we say when used together, we could say, we could say it four times because it's four (laughs) principles. Yeah. Three times isn't enough. No, Yeah, let's do it four because it's four times. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Well, so this is where I'm going to break down contrastive thinking a little bit more for us and the importance of it. And uh, yeah, I think this will help everybody really understand why this, this principle and the four principles that we're teaching is definitely a requirement. Here's a line for you, PJ. Mm -hmm. All we know for sure is what isn't true. Huh? That is a a powerful statement. Okay, so let me say this. All we know for sure. All. All. All? All we know for sure. For sure. Okay. And I always say this. All us human beings know for sure is what isn't true. And this, again, goes back to the principle of non-contradiction where we said the lack of a contradiction doesn't prove something right. The existence of a contradiction proves something wrong. And we qualified that by saying, because, you know, the reason a a lack of a contradiction doesn't prove something right is because we may not have all the information. Well, that goes, that, that statement's true for contrastive thinking as well. And that's true for this line. All we know for sure is what isn't true. Hmm. Because we may not have all the information. As a human being, I'm not omniscient. I don't have all the information that exists. Yeah. So even as convinced as I am in my beliefs, it may be possible I'm missing the one piece of information that would throw a wrench into my beliefs. Which is why it's so important for us to be contrasted. Yeah. So our brains naturally work from this comparative perspective and we'll break that down and you'll help you see what that looks like even further. So we take in information and we naturally try to make it agree 
However, this leads to errors. So for instance, if I wanted to convince you that I drive a Corvette, when I really drove a Camry, I could tell you everything that is similar between those two cars. It has a steering wheel. It has four wheels. It's shiny. A C in the name. <laughs> yeah. As I gave you more information, it would look more likely to you that I drive a Corvette. I mean, the gas pedal's on the right. There you brakes go. on the left. Mm-hmm. It's got a couple cup holders. Mm-hmm. The truth is you wouldn't know for sure until you had all the information. Nice. And especially the facts that proved me wrong. Now, the very second I told you something different from a Corvette about my Camry, you would know for sure that I didn't drive a Corvette. And again, that's because all we know for sure is what isn't true. So our brains work from this comparative perspective without any intentional effort. It is in our nature as humans. It's man's way of looking for similarities and considering them facts. It's this comfort force within us that tries to be right right now in the short term. An example of this flaw in human logic, man has legs, a dog has legs, therefore man is dog. Mm. This is a comparative mentality. Right. It sounds ridiculous to you right now, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. Man, man, man is man dog. And, man Why is does dog. it sound yeah. ridiculous? Because you immediately know and recognize the differences between a man and a dog. Yeah, absolutely. So the pr- principle of contrastive thinking is powerful and important. The only people who are never wrong are the ones who are perfect or the ones who haven't learned anything, those people don't exist. Nice. So the key to this principle is to be able to admit you could be wrong. Now, when we argue, which a lot of what we're doing in the What the Flock podcast is helping people deal with others arguing with them, we're really helping people argue in a healthy way. Mm. We naturally try to see ourselves as right, and we naturally actively look where other people could be wrong. And this could be hypocritical. We could be condemning ourselves. Where what this principle does, the principle of contrastive thinking, is it instructs us to of a better way of arguing, a healthy way of arguing, where I'm actively looking for where I could be wrong. I'm considering this, the perspective of the person arguing against me. And really what our objective is, you and me, Pastor Jonathan, we want to be right more often and in more ways over time. This means we have to identify where we're wrong and change those beliefs. Wow. So contrastive thinking motivates us to get more information and it helps us remain objective. So finally, the Bible says that evil was let into the world through comparative thinking. Hmm. What Eve did with the serpent was comparative. Eve looked at the fruit comparatively. It was good for food. It was pleasant to the eye. It made one wise. Where all it would have taken for her to not eat of that fruit was one contrastive perspective. What was that perspective? God said you would die. So what's cool here is this actually helps us see that we cannot be evil if we are contrastive. 
And Jesus was contrasted. I mean, he even said, agree with thine adversary quickly. Because if I progress this adversary forward, their perspective, even if it is evil, if I progress it forward, then it will die. If it's truth, it will live. So whatever holds up to being shown, you know, to not having a contradiction, when I have all the information and when that information doesn't contradict itself, eventually we'll see whether or not it's true. So what we see here with contrastive thinking is this principle for determining truth is key to inviting in any information that may prove it wrong, which actually only tightens up the belief that we're being contrastive on. Nice. So here's a couple tips for embracing this principle. Love it. Similarly with not like with non-contradiction, when I'm wrong, admit it as soon as possible. Nice. And then another tip is starting to grow your emotion to being wrong, to becoming more positive. And you helped Music Life Church with this, with the Hooray, I'm Wrong Again game. Nice. We would read the Bible, and anytime you would find an area that confronted you in an area of your life where you were wrong, it was that person's job to say, hooray, I'm wrong again. Nice. And the game ended up helping us want to find those areas. Like you won if you said, hooray, I'm wrong again the most. That's right. And then also the tips for embracing this principle is to search these areas out where I'm wrong and to invite confrontation from others. Amazing. Invite other people to show you the beliefs that are wrong in your life. Yes. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much, Pastor Joel. This has been What the Flock. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.